Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I have the joy today of having on a guest who is a physician. She's a small business owner, and we're going to walk through our usual fireside chat, getting to know a doctor's struggle and journeys and joys along the way and... and pick apart any financial lessons that we can learn. So I'm glad to have her on. She is someone that had reached out to me and I just really loved her story. She is a doctor who's now teaching medical coding, which I know everybody loves medical coding so much. She went back and got her CPC degree and founded a company called MedLife. And she's going to be in that. She breaks down the basics of medical coding, from the provider point of view, making information less confusing. So I'm loving to learn about her journey and find out about what she's been up to and how she's getting there. Please help me welcome Cherie Newville. Welcome, Cherie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. Yes, well, so glad to have you on and, and share lessons and thoughts along the way. And uh, I'll forewarn everyone in this this COVID times, my youngest daughter is the little miracle girl who inspired the podcast. She's here with me at the office today. I think she she might've opened and shut a door while <laughs> we were talking. <laughs> so this is COVID times uh, that we're recording this in February of 2021. Um, so Cherie, uh, please help, help us uh, understand your background. Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in the Bronx, New York, and raised in Lower Westchester, which is the suburbs right outside of New York City. And um, my mom was actually a registered nurse who worked in pediatrics. So that's kind of really where I got my start in medicine and my love for medicine. And she was also actually a single parent who worked two jobs. So of course, you can imagine that that could get kind of crazy, but she loved what she did. So that definitely helped make everything a lot easier. So tell me more about that. She's she's a single mom working two, two jobs. Were you an only child or did you have any brothers or sisters? No, I have an older brother and she worked nights uh, in the beginning when we were younger so that she could put us to bed and then a family member would stay with us and she'd be back in the morning after the shift. And later on, as we got older, she had to pick up days and nights. And luckily with nursing, it's flexible in terms of the, in the hospital anyway, they work three to four nights a week, they do 12 hour shifts. So she was really amazing at just maneuvering the schedule to get us everything that we needed, while still making sure that she was able to cover her responsibilities. And it's really admirable. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I admire single parents so much. I mean, I, th- I think about, especially in the last year, you know, man, if you're a single parent, yeah, doing your thing, having to cover schooling for the kids, my hat off to you and certainly your mom. Look at her, look at her raising a physician. What does your brother do? 
for a living? My brother is in um, technology. So he did not want anything to do with medicine whatsoever. He loves computers. So that's kind of his lane. That's where he's hanging out. And I remember when I, cause I used to have to tag along with my mom to a lot of things like her conferences and everything. He was just never interested in the medicine thing. He hates blood. And so that definitely <laughs> was not the path for him. Interesting. But, but you really kind of took on to it. Did, did you ever go with her to work or what? Yes. My earliest memories of going to work with her were actually for take your daughter to work day. Hmm. And I actually look forward to those days, not only because I got to get out of school, but because I got to go and see what life was like when you became a grown up and really got into the workplace. And she always, um, was excited to introduce me to her colleagues and introduce me to the different areas in where she worked, the manager, and they all were really great as mentors for a young child just to answer any questions that I had. And even in the hospital, because she knew a lot of doctors in the hospital, and Mm -hmm. she introduced me to a lot of them as well. And I was able to shadow different specialties to really figure out what I liked, what I didn't like. And this was like, junior high, high school? This like... started in uh, middle school, take your daughter to work day. And then continuing with the shadowing and everything like that, that was starting in high school. Mm-hmm. Well, I think of a single mom just grinding away, obviously her really trying to make a wonderful life for the two of you guys. And um, I wonder what kind of money lessons did you pick up along the way? Oh man, I picked up so many lessons. I'll say this, that my, I'll preface it with the fact that my family is from the West Indies. So my mother came here when, from Jamaica with Mm. my grandmother when she was younger. She went to high school here and everything like that, completed her education, but she grew up with her grandmother in Jamaica. And she always told me stories about the savings situations that her grandmother would teach her about. You know, she said they weren't rich people, but her grandmother would always teach her, hey, if you have a dollar, make sure you don't spend that whole dollar. Make sure you put aside like 25 cents for later, because, you know, when it comes time for the uh, time for the day that you need something there, you're going to be able to look back and see that you set aside some something for yourself. So that's really where I started to learn about saving. And um, I actually did that very well when I was younger. I remember sometimes if my mom needed to get to the bank or something and she figured, you know what, I don't have time. I know Sheree has money. And she, and I always did. She said, you know what, Sheree, can you please just let me or $20, whatever it was, and I'll give it back to you. And I always used to tell her, okay, but I like it back with interest. I need interest going on this. So from a very young age, I learned about saving, about investing for the future, about making sure that you don't waste money as well. What a great lesson. And and, uh, I think what's so interesting to me about, about money and wealth is no matter where someone kind of comes from, I mean, these lessons, you know, can, can help and can get you going and and just look at what your grandmother was able to pass on to you, you know, with something so, so incredibly smart and and good habits to, um, to make. So walk us through, obviously you were interested in in medicine, whether it was nursing or or shadowing people, shadowing physicians, whatever. Um, Where did you do your, your undergrad at? 
So I went to undergrad at Temple University in mm -hmm. Philadelphia. And um, while I was there, I actually was part of the Student National Medical Association. And that also afforded me the opportunity to encounter different providers and different specialties who told me their stories. And from that experience, I remember one in particular, a meeting we had, there was a podiatrist who came in and one of the first things he mentioned was that he worked with the New York Yankees. And I immediately was <laughs> excited, not only because that's my favorite baseball team, <laughs> but because I love sports as well. And I didn't know that was something that podiatrists could do. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to listen to the rest of what he had to say. A lot of it intrigued me. And I was later afforded the opportunity to do a winter internship with the podiatry program in Philadelphia. And we were able to visit CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, as well as participate in workshops for casting and different discussions about surgery. And it all really intrigued me. So that's kind of where I got that direction from. Interesting. And so as, you, as you're getting into undergrad and, and then into medical school, did you have much in the way of medical school debt and student debt at all? Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> and I had debt stemming from undergrad, actually. Um, but compared to medical school debt, it just it pales in comparison by far. Mm. So for me, it was kind of the way that people went. It's, you know, you want to go and have medical training. You want to go to medical school. And so you invest in that and you take out loans. And so I had a huge amount of debt. I believe coming out, it was about $250,000. It's, you know, it was ridiculous. And of course, that's so scary because you're like, oh my God, how am I ever going to pay this back? But we all kind of chalked it up to, hey, this is what you do and you'll pay it back later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly people come from different backgrounds and, and uh, I'm sure your mom was just so proud to see you advancing along this way and, and um, working towards being, being her boss, I guess, potentially. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. What, what, um, what, what did that look like in terms of like residency? Did, what specialty did you pick? What, what did you end up doing um, in medical school into, into residency? So I ended up going to um, residency to be a podiatric surgeon. So mm -hmm. I focused on podiatry and um yeah, it really intrigued me just because of the versatility of it. We worked with a lot of pediatrics. We did a lot of surgery. There's a lot to do with diabetics and, and caring for them with the whole endocrinology fusion component of that. So that's really where my focus was. And in residency, we saw a lot of pathology. Thank God I got a great training in my hospital and it really taught me a lot about all those fields and especially the surgical component. It was heavy, heavily surgically based. I've, I've heard a lot of, uh, I've had a few podiatrist friends and, and folks that I've worked with. And um, I often hear, you know, like the basic pod podiatry seems like no one really likes. It's the bunions and the, <laughs> the, the finger, uh, the toenail clipping and, you know, all uh -huh. this stuff that, you know, you don't get paid much for it at all. Exactly. But, everyone always talks about the surgery side of it. You know, that's where the profits are at. And yeah, that's, where... that's the exciting part. <laughs> and, and you chose to specialize in that, which was incredibly smart. Um, yeah. 
And so you're, you're getting um, into residency now and where'd you do your residency at? I did my residency in the New York Presbyterian Hospital System, Brooklyn Methodist Hospital, it's called now. So that's in Brooklyn and yeah. Mm-hmm. So you came back, you came back home, so to speak, because you were in the Bronx, you said, right? Growing well, up. I was born in the Bronx. I did school um, training in New York, actually, in Harlem. And then for residency, I went to Brooklyn. All the boroughs. Time. You're like covering them all. <laughs> yes, I'm all over the place. <laughs> and and so, OK, so you're you're in Brooklyn doing that. And I have to imagine, you know, living in New York City, whether you're Brooklyn or Bronx or Harlem or Manhattan. I mean, that that is not cheap and trying to be a resident. I, w- I would love to hear about that experience. Oh, it's not cheap at all. And I'll say this. I fortunately um, I had friends in the city. And so sometimes, you know, in the beginning, I would bunk with them, we share. However, I actually commuted from Yonkers. So I lived in Westchester, which helped a lot because the space that you get living outside of the city versus in the city directly, Mm -hmm. it definitely is way more. So I actually, for school and then later on for residency, I would drive from Yonkers all the way down to Brooklyn. And because our hours were so early, I'd have to be on the road at five o'clock in the morning, 4.30 sometimes if I had a rotation I was on, I got down there in 35 minutes crossing the bridge. So it wow. really wasn't bad at all. And for the, the space that I got, it definitely was comparable in payment to the city, but way more space. <laughs> mm. Well, that, that's not that bad of a commute compared to <laughs> a yeah. lot of, a lot of other things. I live back in Seattle and in uh, the, the suburbs out there. And I was commuting an hour each way. You know, that was exhausting. Oh my gosh. Exhausting yeah. back in the day. And I had colleagues that tra- that would spend an hour and a half on the train to nope. get to work. So it was a no brainer for me. Mm-mm, not going to happen. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. <laughs> I guess at least you're not driving, but still that's a lot of your day spent, yeah. spent on, on trains and transportation. So, um, you're, you're in residency. And then w- what was kind of your debt strategy payback, you know, as you're going through that, where you're just like, eh, no big deal. Were you like wanting to attack it? Cause it sounds like you had some financial savvy about you from, from early on. Yeah. I mean, originally when I got into residency, I was not focused on it just because uh, I knew it was there. I wanted to attack it, but I also, had so much thrown at me from training. I just didn't have the time to focus on it. So, you know, you do the deferment thing, but then I, second year in, I kind of wised up like, wait, I need to actually focus on this a little bit. And I learned about the public service loan forgiveness program. And that was what a lot of people at that time that found out about it, that was going around. A lot of people were invested in that because they realized that they had a lot of debt that they needed to cover and they didn't want to spend their entire lives trying to pay that off. So that's really the first notion that I had about attacking this debt and really creating a plan to do so. And that, that was in residency when you started yeah. enrolling mm-hmm. in PSLF. And what, um, what, what year was this? This was in 2012, 2013. Ooh, so 2012, 2013. So have you still been in PSLF that whole time? 
um, or, or have you now at this point um, transitioned to, uh, well, I guess you're, you have the business now, right? So I guess walk me through the journey of the student loans and what happened with PSLF and, and from 2012 to now for you. Yeah, sure. So I kind of drifted in and out of it because out of training, I was still doing that and I still practice um, part-time now. So mm. I still am, um, uh, well, I was able to do PSLF and it went on pause when I was in an employment position that did not qualify me to make those payments. But the good yeah. thing about PSLF is that it's cumulative. So it doesn't matter if I take a break here or there, but, you know, the cumulative payments, as long as I make those 120 qualifying payments, I still qualify. Now I kind of pivoted a little bit. So that affects that decision and going down the road, I'll just have to figure out because now I'm not currently in PSLF. Um, did did but, you refinance your loans or like a SoFi or Earnest or one of those kind of companies or what did you do? Well, before, when I completed residency, I consolidated. Mm -hmm. So I consolidated everything at that time before leaving because I, it was getting ridiculous. I had, uh, like four or five different bills coming at me as it was confusing. Mm. So yeah, I did consolidate and I believe I did refinance at that time. I'm trying to remember. I believe I did. And so going forward is just one payment and a lot easier. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to delve, delve more into that. So are you still doing the loan through the, the feds or did you take it outside of the, the feds? I fed loans. So I'm doing federal um, feds okay. and um, yeah, it's just a matter of me right now. I'm not currently on PSLF on the PSLF track, but I was up until uh, a few years ago consistently. So so th this is, I'm really curious to know because certainly talk to a lot of physicians and generally, you know, what I would suggest for folks that, that uh, are not on that track and don't intend to go back is, hey, just refinance them through like SoFi or Earnest or one of those private loan companies because you're probably paying 6.8% to the feds, mm -hmm. you know, when in this low interest environment, you can pay three or 4% fixed interest rate to- yeah. A different company. Have you considered that or? I actually um, briefly did, but I didn't seriously delve into it, to be honest, but I have heard it mentioned before, but I didn't totally focus my attention on that. So I did not do that, to be honest, right at this, um, up to this point. And do you think it's just like a time thing for you, you know, of just not being able to dedicate the time towards yeah. figuring that out? Or think... what would you attribute that to? I think it's a lot of time. Part of it is time, just not being able to really sit down, figuring out. Um, but also I think it's knowing exactly, because there is still a chance that I, I like I told you up to this point, I've had a significant investment in PSLF. Yeah. So I think I really reached a crossroads where I'm thinking, hey, do I just finish this out or do I pivot and just, you know, refinance, like you're saying, dedicate to that and go another route. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, tough decision as you know, <laughs> you, you make that decision, you can't undo it. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's like exactly. you're, you're, you're done once and you're dedicated to doing that. Once, once you, you pull that trigger. Exactly. Um, well, I'd love to know. So, you know, as, as you make this transition, the last couple of years, walk us through the transition of practice 
and what what you were doing and what it was like as you get out of residency. Did you do a fellowship or? No, I did not. I didn't do a fellowship. Okay. So you did three, four-year residency? Yep. Did three-year surgical residency and then um, start out after that. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. And I just want to make sure to thank each and every one of you for listening each and every week. When I get phone calls and emails and texts, it really just touches my heart. And as such, I just want to make sure to bring to your attention for one of the final times that for this month. The last time I am going to have the Freedom Formula for Physicians where you can get a physical copy and an electronic copy for only a dollar plus shipping. And so my friends, if you wanna take advantage of that deal, make sure to head right now to www.drfreedombook.com. So that's D-O-C-T-O-R Freedom book.com. And again, what you'll get for only $1 plus a few bucks in shipping, you get the whole physical copy of the Freedom Formula for Physicians, plus you get an electronic copy. You get both of those things for only five bucks. And this offer is coming to an end on August 31st. If you look on September 1st or beyond, it's going to be about 10 bucks. Uh, for that whole entire package, which will still be better than anything you get on Amazon because you get both. But anyhow, that being said, I just want to thank you again so much for being here with me on this journey, for joining me and learning about different ways to help you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Again, visit www.drfreedombook.com, D-O-C-T-O-R, Freedom book.com to take advantage of this incredible offer to get the freedom formula for physicians for only a dollar plus shipping. Peace. I'm out. Nice, nice, nice. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Where, where'd you end up practicing? Sure. So I'll, well, do you want to hear a little bit about this? Part of the issue started in residency with this whole um, subject that we're on. So I could tell you a little bit about that if you'd like. Of and course, please. Okay. So in residency, I we had clinic every week. And it was interesting because I felt like it was at least once a month, but I really felt like oftentimes it was more frequent than that, that we come into clinic and there'd be a stack of bills on the desk just waiting for us. And the billing department would just ask us to fix these bills. Mm. And I remember being so frustrated by that. So I'd go to my attending that was covering clinic and ask them what we needed to do to correct these claims and submit it back to, to the billing department. So one attending would tell me, hey, you know, this is what we do, correct it this way, and that's that. And I figured that that was the issue and we could move forward. 
come the next time around a month later or so, there'd be another stack waiting for us and there'd be a different attending attending to us or attending clinic. Mm -hmm. And I'd ask them what the issue was this time because I thought, you know, we clarified everything and we could move forward. And that attending would give me a different answer. So I became frustrated and I quickly learned that while our attendings all had the best intentions and they were trying to teach us what they knew, they really may have just, they weren't objectively giving me the information that I needed to know. So I really got frustrated and just went to the billing department myself and started asking them, hey, you know, what is it that we need to do to fix these issues? And the billing lady, she nicely laid it out for me. And I started creating these points that I would bring down to clinic and post in clinic for the rest of the residents to follow to really correctly carry these, um, the, this billing coding out. So I took it a step further after that. And thank goodness, our hospital had an amazing rapport with all, between all the residents. And I decided I was going to do a survey to see if this is something that was just specific to my specialty or if this was really across the board an issue. So I was able to survey about almost 70 residents across um, a wide spectrum of specialties like OBGYN, emergency medicine, internal medicine, anesthesia. And I asked them billing and coding questions and the overwhelming majority felt the same way that I did. They were all kind of lost. They didn't really know what was going on. And the handful that did say they felt good about billing and coding, of course, I couldn't objectively test their knowledge because, you know, that's in a different setting. But um, I also asked all of them how important they felt this was to practice, to life after residency, and 100% agreed that this was a major issue. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but I proceeded to ask them how they currently got their billing and coding education. And they all just kind of told me their attending just showed, showed them what they knew. And just knowing what I know now about how there are doctors that I met with over 20 years of practice and they still don't really grasp these concepts. I just know that there's a repetitive cycle and this is continuing and it's not necessarily the right information that's transferred down the line. So I get out of um, residency and I get my first, um, my first job working in a clinic and also I do private practice uh, a part-time. Mm. Um, and in private practice, I was working really closely with this pediatrician <laughs> and he actually recommended that I use a biller that he was working with. Now, first glance, you might wonder why would a pediatrician and a podiatrist use the same billing person? And that's the first thing that I thought too. So I just made sure I talked to the biller and asked if he was familiar with my specialty, if he knew the codes and all the guidelines correctly. And he assured me that he did. So I gave him a chance and long story short, I just started to find out with the limited coding knowledge that I knew at that time, I realized that he was upcoding a lot of my notes and I knew that I would never be able to support what he was coding in an audit. And not only that, but he was actually also recommending that I do or code, not do, code certain procedures that I hadn't really heard used in my specialty. Not that it couldn't be possible, but I just, I didn't get a good feeling about it. So the last straw was really the communication with the biller. I had all these questions and I would try to reach out to him and 
he just did not have great communication. So I had to let him go. So that was my first, well, that's really my second experience with knowing that this was an issue. So I ended up letting him go and I was looking for resources to really help me on my journey. And so I really struggled with that, finding resources that were directed towards providers. Everything I found was having to do with becoming a coder and going back to coding, to school formally for coding. And so I just eventually bit the bullet and said, hey, I need to learn this stuff. So I guess I'm going to get my coding degree. And that's what I did. Hmm. Um, following that, things were so much easier. I had so many aha moments when I was learning in the class. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is what the billing department was trying to teach me. And oh my God, this is what all, what all those pages were about in the hospital from CDI, the clinical documentation, documentation um, improvement. All those pages while I was on the floor, just trying to get to the OR, this is what they were talking about, which at the time I didn't feel was important because I had a lot of other things on my mind, but it really was. And I think the, the last straw for me was really a colleague I had who worked with um, provider education for electronic medical records. And he frequently told me stories of providers that really struggled grasping the billing coding aspects of medicine and um, would ask him how they translate their notes to correct coding. So me knowing what I did and also having many colleagues that struggle with this and I tried to help them, but really you have to learn the information. I decided to take it upon myself and start to create a program for providers from their perspectives specifically. Well, that's so interesting that you actually had to get a degree yeah. <laughs> in, in, in coding. Is, is that like a certificate or actually like a four-year undergraduate degree? They have undergraduate programs for this and they have accelerated programs. I took an accelerated program. Thank goodness it was offered by the um, AAPC, which is a national coding organization. And um, so it didn't take me that long. I think it was like, you had to show that you had a certain background knowledge and as doctors, we all have to take anatomy and physiology. We know medical terminology. So based on where you're at on that curve, they allow you to start the program. So I did an accelerated program and with months, I was able to complete that. Thank goodness. Interesting. Interesting. Is this something that you think should be more kind of part of like a medical school curriculum or, or knowing what you know now, how would you recommend, you know, educating the, the doctor populace, you know, so that people are, are better equipped um, going into residency or going into practice or whatever? I think it's tough to say because I used to think that, yes, it should start in medical school, absolutely, hands down, and also in residency. But I think it's tough, especially in medical school, because you're already on a tight schedule to learn everything you need to, to graduate. So ideally, yes, the basics would start there, but I think in residency, which is also very demanding, I think it's really important that it start there because doctors don't really need to know everything a coder needs to know because they're not coders, but they do, there are key elements which they do need to be educated on, especially with documentation that would really benefit them. So I definitely would say residency is a great place to start. Mm. 
And um, with with this business that uh, that you started, um, tell us more about like because you've been practicing. It sounds like while you're getting the business off the ground and and yes. trying to do things. Tell us about and you're obviously you were grinding in in getting that certification while practicing and stuff like that. And and somewhere along the line, you had a kiddo, it sounds yeah. <laughs> like a couple of years ago. So yeah. so tell us about, about the struggle, the joys of, of going through this process you've been through. Well, the struggle is just really the time component balance because as providers, any provider will tell you that time is extremely limited. Sometimes you don't even feel like you have time to breathe. So I think that was really one of the major hurdles, get finding the time. And then also making sure that I'm creating quality content for providers, because I don't want there to be information that I'm putting out there that's not correct, or that is not going to be very useful. So making sure that everything is thorough, and then also the time to create that content. That was basically, I would say, the most struggle that I've had. But the joys of it, I would say just the provider education part. I've done um, meetings where providers with over 30 years of experience were there. And maybe they felt that they were an excellent coder. And when I was finished with my presentation, they came up to me and said, you know what, I thank you so much because I've actually learned a lot from this presentation. There's a lot that I didn't know I didn't know. So I think for those moments, those are really the best moments for me when I'm teaching and when people are really realizing that this is very important. Well, that's great. Well, certainly the the, the joys of doing it, uh, of, of seeing the results and people feeling like they're, they're better equipped, you know, that's always a good thing. Um, what about, you know, just financially? getting a business started, you know, what, what has that been like for you? How, tell us about the process of starting the business and getting your first clients and well, while practicing medicine. Oh, sure. So starting the business, it's, it's interesting because as providers in healthcare, we're not business trained at all. So in the beginning, it felt like I was lost in the dark, <laughs> had to kind of learn to walk. It was a lot of research. And of course, you're dealing with trying to establish a formal business. So the costs associated with that. And there's marketing, there's materials you have to get together. And all of those things, which I, some of which I hadn't even budgeted for, you know, website design, things like that. And they add up quickly. And of course you have your responsibilities of home and family. So it does add up very quickly. And um, for that reason, it was just, it, it felt hard in the beginning, but the more you do, the more you research and just keep putting one foot in front of the other, definitely it got easier as I continue to go along the way. What do you think was like the biggest mistake you've made um, with the business or just financially, you know, just looking back on the years and we talked some certainly about the student debt already. Um, what, what's something people can learn from, from your experiences? Um, I would say looking back, one of the mistakes I made, making sure that you're ready to start and not investing money in certain things until you really get to that point. Because frequently as providers, we have type A personalities. We like to be a million steps ahead of the game. Yeah. And I found myself in the beginning worrying about 
things that were maybe 10 steps down the road, which I didn't get to, and things starting to eat up money, which I really didn't need to invest in yet. Like what? Get, tell us like, Tell us more. <laughs> like, I'll say, um, like in the beginning, a website, a website is important, but at the time I hadn't put enough investment into actually flushing out my product yet. So mm-hmm. I was worried about getting this website up and running and making sure everything is perfect, but I hadn't put enough attention on the product yet. So that ate up a lot of things. Um, and um, yeah, so the website was one. What's mm-hmm. another good one I had? Um I would also say, oh yeah. So before I um, created my online courses, I was spending a lot of money also on just in general marketing, but I would find that providers would want something and I would do these courses in person a lot. And the Mm. pandemic actually afforded me the opportunity to expand because online courses, they're accessible to anyone at any time in anywhere across the country. So where I was investing a lot of money in local and going down that route, it was eating a lot into what I was doing, I was able to really focus on online courses and spending the time, which of course, like I said, it's hard to cut out time, but really spending the time to dedicate a quality product of an online course where providers, when they ask me, hey, where can I get more information for this topic? Or is there a course that I can really take to really learn this information? I was able to really point them in that direction. So that also helped. I think one one of the the things I think about with courses and online courses that once you have it built, at least for a time, right, you don't have to put a whole bunch of more time into it until you get to version 2.0 and version 3.0 and version 4.0 and so right. on. Um, mm-hmm. Like, have you found that that um, you've kind of gotten into like a cycle of like updating content, like once a year, once every six months, or like, is it just something constantly you're having to update just because life is changing so quickly? Or I'm curious to know about that. Yeah, well, for me, it really depends on the coding regulations. So sometimes I would say at least once a year, because as providers will know that work in hospital or outpatient, especially there were new guidelines that started for evaluation and management this year, January 1st. So I had to revamp everything to align with those guidelines, but some of the old guidelines are still in place, but it is the coding regulations change annually. So I would say at least annually to make sure you circle back, make sure everything that is included is up to date and um, all the resources are still accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's the struggle of doing it. Someone emails you, this isn't working. It was just working a week ago. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I've been there. Get it? I get it. And um, I'd love to know just kind of the 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 um, who your target audience is. You know, is this hospitals you're marketing it to, private practices, or individual doctors? You know, who's who's kind of the target audience for for your product? Well, anybody that checks out the website will see that it's directed more so towards residents and newly practicing medical providers, but really any provider, it's marketed to individuals, any provider that really wants a basic understanding 
of billing and coding points is they can and should take the course. But the reason I directed it towards that population is because number one, I feel like education should really start at that level before you're getting into practice, before you're setting your ways with certain things. It's important to start early. And the second reason I marketed towards that population is because resources are extremely limited for them. If you have a provider that's in practice for 20 to 30 years, they may be able to hire a billing and coding company to come into their private practice and do revenue cycle management and see where their profit loss is. But doctors and providers that are early in their education really don't have access to that. And those things are costly. So for that reason, I market it towards them. I love it. That's so great. And um, what about just, just financially, you know, in terms of being a business owner and and um, I know for myself, I have several businesses and um, this, this podcast we do is just content creation to help people, you know, that I get no monetization <laughs> from it. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a labor of love. Um, but the, uh, as I've talked about on the podcast, you know, I have my, my normal uh, job per se, and then I have my land business and I have a mm-hmm. mobile gaming kit business. And each of those takes time to manage, takes time to do. And, and I feel like just in the last year, you know, I've really reaped the reward of putting into it. And I'm, I'm able to hire people so I can spend less time on it and right. more time on, on doing the stuff I enjoy more and, and take mm-hmm. away that. Um, tell us about that just financially for you. You know, was it kind of kind of a struggle where you work in a hundred hours a week, you know, what what have the finances been like with with the business and and transitioning out of or I guess you're still practicing medicine. Yeah. So. Yep. And and like I said before, it's a fine balance because I find myself as a mother, as a yeah. wife, as a daughter, you have personal responsibilities. And so it did eat a lot of time. A lot of times it's late nights and long weekends and after hours at work and I, you know, I put the baby to bed and then I go back to working on things I need to work on. So it's, it's a balance. It's, it can seem overwhelming at times, but it's definitely, um, it feels good at the end of the day to know that you're creating this product and it's helping people along the line. You from sometimes feel overwhelmed and that means it's time to, if you can afford to hire some people to help. I'm fortunate in that I work with a handful of people, you know, financial and otherwise that are really able to help me, but I had to build up to that point and it wasn't easy. It's a lot of multitasking, uh, wearing a lot of hats. And even now currently I still do wear a lot of hats. Well, and, and, and the rewards, I'm sure you're, you're building it up and, and uh, have a great product now to point towards that you've honed over time. And I'm just so um, inspired by physicians like yourself that have gone through the, the ringer of, of, <laughs> of medical school and residency and, and you haven't lost the fire to do something new. And, exactly. you know, I think it's so great um, doing, doing a business like this, which obviously, you know, you're, you're in it to grow the business and make money and, and get in a better spot for your family and all mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um, and, and I love people owning businesses, whether we're talking about real estate or what you're doing or, or, um, acquiring surgery centers or whatever that right. is. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to know your thoughts on, um, who do you think is, is a good candidate 
to do be owning a business versus those that maybe are just better off. Hey, just do your W two thing and and you know clock in and out of the hospital. I'm I'm curious to know your thoughts on on good physician candidates for business owner kind of hustling like you are versus yeah just the go to work. Well, I'll I'll definitely preface that with some information I just stumbled upon weeks ago. There was a survey done by the American Medical Association in 2019 that showed for the first time ever, there are actually more doctors working for hospitals and healthcare organizations than are in private practice. And a lot of this has to do with these business elements and just not wanting the responsibility or just not understanding it. So to answer the question, I feel like for providers that just, they don't want to worry about um, any extras. And when I say that, I mean, in business, when you're a business owner, things pop up. You work more hours than you attended to sometimes. And people, not everybody likes that. They want the idea of having a set schedule going in when they're supposed to and leaving when they're supposed to. And if that's what they like to do, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think employment would be better for those people Mm -hmm. as opposed to the provider who really enjoys that venture, establishing something on their own, making sure that if they they put the hard work into it, they they can create something of their own and really excel at that. I think that entrepreneurship and becoming a business owner would be great for those people. And also taking risks because business is a risk. So the riskier yeah. individuals also, that's important. Good feedback. Good feedback. Well, as, as we're, we're wrapping up the, the podcast for today, Cherie, you, you have any, any kind of, of final thoughts, inspirational or, or, or lessons from your life that you would love to pass on to those of us listening? Absolutely. I find that life, as a lot of us know, it's not a straight line. And if you have a desire to do something, it can definitely be done. Um, There's no thing that says you can only be one thing in life. So if you have a dream, chip away at it, take one step at a time and you get closer and closer bit by bit. Just, you know, bite off small chunks to reach your goal. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. And if people are interested in learning more about your course and taking it so they can be better at coding and, and all that kind of thing, or they just want to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. We can be reached via email at info at startmedlife.com, or we also have a contact area on the website, startmedlife.com. And we're on social media, Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. You can search us at Start My Life. And for providers that do follow us on there, we just started doing Tuesday tips. So every Tuesday, we send out a coding tip to help providers on their billing and coding journey. And our newest and last venture is actually a group that connects providers with experienced coders to help them really answer any questions they may have and help enlighten coders as well as to the difficulties that doctors have in the billing and coding process. And that's called the Billing and Coding Forum, where providers and coders connect on Facebook. So you can't miss us. It's a bright purple thumbnail if you look us up. Perfect. Well, check it all out, everybody. I'll try and and get uh, some links for Sheree to include here with the podcast so you can just cl- do it with a click of a button. All right, my friends. Well, Sheree was kind enough to give us some good words of wisdom, and, and I hope you've learned from her journey and the, the hours and dedication to being a business owner. 
for the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. This is Dave Denniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.